Hi, welcome to the Brainworms Podcast, the fair and balanced podcast that you can trust about books. You can trust us. We're not like the others. I'm Joe. I'm David. And I'm Chris. Today we're coming back to Trigger Warning by William W. and J.A. Johnstone. Because this this was a cheaper method of self-flagellation than getting whips. Because watching a dead man being puppeteered to uh, have political opinions is fun for everybody. Um, It's entertainment. It's entertainment. You, You like Weekend at Bernie's? What if it was real right wing about it? Um, so if you enjoy this, and I have no idea why anyone would, I'm sorry. Um, follow us on the Facebook, you know, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And we have the Patreon. Give us your money and we will keep making shows. Or just give us your money. I mean, we'll keep making shows either way, but they'll be better if you pay us also, for it. Yeah. So I don't know if we just incentivize or disincentivize supporting the show with all of that. Whatever. What if we threaten that when we reach a certain goal, we'll actually hire funny people to do the show? <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's right. You pay us and we'll get interesting people to yep. do this. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're going to jump back into trigger warning. Unless, please, anyone has anything they want to say. And just any, any, anything. I mean, would, would you guys, what was, what was the first thing you guys thought when you woke up today? <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't put this off. This, this is happening. Um, look into the lights of the oncoming train. <laughs> um, I was going to say something important. Oh, oh, the thing. Um, this, this section of the book explicitly deals with, uh, violence, gun violence specifically in a school setting. So if you're made uncomfortable by that, please just, you know, click off. It's fine. And yeah, we're jumping ahead a little bit. Um, yeah, last time we kind of set the scene with Jake getting to school and finding out that he really probably shouldn't belong there but what the hey his grandfather has a lot of money and said you should go there and change the entire world instead of you know going to a place where you'd be comfortable because that's how life mm-hmm. works right you know um, i i feel like there could be okay i just thought of this because like okay. i was thinking it over and like isn't there isn't it the responsibility of the writer to like okay i have my character who is unhappy in this situation has no reason at all to not be in that situation. I have to come up with something that keeps him there. That keeps Jake in this college. Like what if, uh, his grandfather had, had just a quirky sense of humor. And he was like, you know, Jake, I don't think you've actually been challenged in your time in the military and all this and that. I think, you know, all that stuff is kind of your niche. The military is not challenging. (laughs) i meant for jake specifically um so the like and i just thought of this in like two Mm -hmm. seconds and so it's also his grandfather has a quirky sense of humor is like uh i'm not giving you a cent of my fortune unless you get your unless you like attend 
like four years at this college. And like the, the grandfather didn't even attend this college. Like that would even, that would give it some kind of depth. Like, nope, Jake, this is the school that I went to. This is the school I want you to, but, but it's, it's none of that. He's just there. He hates it there. It's not even an ideal environment for what he wants to study. It's literally just, we have money bend to us. Yeah. That is literally the entire setup of this mm-hmm. book. Like, I don't like this. These people don't understand the way the world works. Blah, 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 blah. Don't they understand that we have money? Therefore, what we say is how it needs to mm-hmm. be. Like, I, I, that's, that is, yeah, that's the setup for yeah. this. <laughs> <sighs> you you ready to jump into it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, yeah. Let's let's uh, kind of talk a little bit about what happened between, so that uh, or or do we want to do that? Um, honestly, I, I feel like no amount of. I mean, basically, what we read last episode continues. Um, Just copy yeah. paste for however Jake's many at the college. He has a bad time. He gets in fights with the Antifa. Um, there's a love interest character that's not very interesting. Um, we do learn the mystery of of Jake's mysterious father, who apparently got disbarred from from law because he was involved with a drug scandal and had gambling debts. Which is because that never happens to lawyers. To, yeah, <laughs> and that—that's the most interesting thing about this book. So far, like, wait, one of the one of these characters has a flaw. What? <laughs> so, so that that's that mystery solved. All right. Well then, I guess we'll dive into uh, starting with chapter thirty-eight. Six men had taken over the administration building. Carlos was in charge of them. He was pleased that Matthias Foster had entrusted him with such an important job. Foster's political stances were what had drawn Carlos into the group in the first place, and then he had stayed for the irresistible crack at millions of dollars. But he still admired Foster and didn't want to let him down. Carlos and his cohorts had taken over the lobby area first then gone from office to office, rounding up the men and women who worked in the admin building. The lobby stretched across nearly the entire front of the building, so there was plenty of room to gather the approximately 30 hostages there. Then Carlos set two men guarding them, while he and the other three spread out to the doors. There were more than four entrances, but a member of the maintenance crew was among the prisoners. Again, wait. And Carlos had... Unnecessary information. Approximately thirty hostages, four entrances. Like, settle down with that. <laughs> like, we, we don't need to be trapped. It's fine. There were more than four entrances, but a member of the maintenance crew was among the prisoners, and Carlos had been able to put a gun to his head and force him to lock all of them. He and his fellows guarded the ones where an attack was most likely to occur. In Carlos's judgment. 
Carlos stood near the door at the west end of the building, gun in hand, watching through its glass upper half to make sure no one was trying to sneak up on them. Okay, the building's glass upper half, not the gun's glass. Uh, When he heard a footstep behind him, he didn't get in any hurry to turn and look because he assumed it was one of the other men coming to ask him a question. When he did turn his head, he caught just a glimpse of an old man in casual clothes standing there. Carlos didn't remember seeing him among the prisoners before. But he couldn't be anybody else. Anger flared inside Carlos because the guards had allowed this old man to wander (laughs) off. But that lasted only a split second. I just want to rent Braveheart. (laughs) It was replaced by shock as the old man moved in a blur of speed, catching Carlos around the throat with one arm while yanking him back and pushing (laughs) him on the side of his head with the other hand. Nobody that age ought to be so fast and strong. That was the last thing Carlos thought. It's Jake from because the, the next instant, his <laughs> spine snapped and he blacked out. He would die within seconds. His killer lowered the body to the floor and turned away from it with Carlos's gun in his hand. He had his own weapons, of course, but might as well use the other guy's ammunition if you got the chance. It had all happened so fast, none of the other terrorists had noticed what was going on. But the man at the main entrance to the building saw the old guy striding toward him, gun in hand, and reacted quickly. He got his own gun halfway up before a pair of rounds shattered his skull, cored through his brain, and blew the back of his head off. He dropped in a loose sprawl. It's good. Some of... (laughs) I'm I'm wondering if this is Jake's grandfather. Uh... That I would hope be, so. That would actually be a oh my I, god! I, I, that I would, would be amazing. Um, <laughs> I really hope it and, is. And yeah. for, the, for the benefit of the audience, this is the first introduction of this old man. He's just kind of shown up in this scene. So it, I really hope that it's it's Jake's grandfather. That would be really good. Some of the prisoners were screaming now. The two men guarding them charged toward the center of the lobby. Their guns roared. The older man dropped to one knee and fired twice. Both were chest shots. The slugs exploded the hearts of his targets. With four of the six gunmen down, that left just two. (laughs) Marinating that for just a second. Good. Oh, mathematics with trigger warning. You know, I, I... I... wouldn't it take less words and get the same point across to say to write a better book? Yeah, w- <laughs> <laughs> but and that's not like, the world we live in. Just like, with two left, so on. Yeah, yeah, or just he fired into the crowd, leaving only two standing. Would have been fine. Like there, there are so many better ways that that action scene could have been written, and not just doing elementary mathematics does does the author imagine the reader at this point being like like just the book open their eyes like gape and they're just like what's happening next what's happening next i mean mean, this is i mean aside from the obvious flaws like if this were just like a dime like a dime store nobody knows what a dime store is um (laughs) just like a grocery store 
action novel, you know, a, a Dan Brown kind of book that, that I had picked up. Like this isn't, Oh, this is exciting for what it is, yeah. but eh, it's, it's also in happening in trigger warning, which spent, what is this chapter 36 we're reading right now? 38. 38. So it's, it's spent like 27 chapters of just Jake fucking around at college. Which I guess you'll just have to take our word yeah, on. Like the the link the link will be in the description if you want to confirm that this book exists. Um, <laughs> but I feel like you know this is like the sixth episode of this. Best hopefully you trust us by now. Um, but but yeah, there <laughs> again, so- you, you can trust us, but nobody else. You can trust us. Um, but yeah. The, the larger point is that even though this action is interesting, it's so deep into this tedious ass book that eh, who cares. <laughs> With four of the six gunmen down, that left just two. They were thrown for a loop by the sudden, unexpected violence that had cost the lives of their allies. They're taking hostages. They couldn't understand. They're just baffled. What? The situation (laughs) turned violent? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't understand how the old man had even managed to get in here, let alone to kill Carlos and the other three in less time than it took to talk about it. Oh god, he's a Terminator. So they were scared, and that prompted each of them to grab one of the prisoners for use as a human shield. The one holding on to a terrified young woman pointed his weapon over her shoulder and yelled, Drop that gun, you old bastard! The old bastard in question fired a single shot that sizzled past the hostage's right ear and into the open mouth of a gunman hanging on to Jesus. The bullet shattered the man's spine and dropped him so fast he never had a chance to pull the trigger on his own gun. The other prisoner being used as a human shield was a fat, middle-aged man who had probably not been in a fight for decades, if ever. But terror gave him strength, and he twisted free, then rammed his shoulder into the chest of the man who had grabbed him. The gunman staggered back a step, and that gave the deadly stranger plenty of room and time to plant two rounds in the middle of his face. In a little less than a minute, the terrorists in the administration building had been wiped out and the hostages were free. All right, new theory. Jake got a hold of, like, the old man makeup from uh, that didn't, like, there was some horrible movie where the actor would just dress like an old man and do antics. This reference is ruined because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Jake got some old man makeup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jake's got some old man makeup or, you know, possible also alternative theory. Jake went into the future and brought himself back from the nice. future to save everyone. Which would be way more interesting. Would. I really hope that's how it goes. I mean, I'm still holding out that it's grandpa. Yeah, I, I kind of want that too. If it turns out that this is just, like, regular-ass Jake, it's going to be just such a letdown. Like, oh, God, he's he's back. The, the guy of the group that no one likes. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it's Jake in an old man costume. I want it to be. But I don't think it's going to. Some of the former prisoners rushed toward the man, who waved them on. 
and pointed toward the door at the west end of the building. Bust that down if you have to and get out of here, he told them. We won't have to break it down, one of the men said. He wore the uniform of a maintenance worker and still had a ring of keys attached to his belt. Remember like three paragraphs ago when they mentioned that maintenance (laughs) worker? Good on him. The gunmen had failed to take it away from him, which was pretty careless on their part. The maintenance man quickly unlocked the door and flung it open. He looked back at the stranger and asked, Who the hell are you, anyway? Just call me Dog, the man said. Dog the bounty hunter. Big bad dog. The maintenance worker and the others all rushed out of the building, only to find themselves suddenly surrounded by SWAT officers in tactical gear and body armor. The man who had freed them faded away along a shadowy corridor in the administration building, returning to the back of the building where he had cut a hole in the window and gotten in without anyone seeing him. It was the one place on the entire building that none of the men surrounding it had a good view of. Wouldn't it have made anyway, the book better if if we didn't know how old man, dog, maybe Jake's grandfather got in and it was just mysterious? Yeah, maybe. I Subtlety, what? No, I mean, this book, one thing I will say about this book and the writing style of it is that it's going out of its way to close up any potential plot loops, which can be good. You know, I mean, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but like every single potential thing where the reader might have a moment of, wait, how did that happen anyway? They are absolutely going out of their way to address it. here. Well, (sighs) do you know who else did that? Uh, Norman Bouton, you know, and, and, you know, okay, plot loops. Yeah, they're a problem. Uh, I feel like that's sort of like, like focusing on the barnacles on your ship when there's holes Mm. under the waterline. Like maybe you want to like make sure your ship is watertight before you start polishing. Right. And even like sometimes you can sometimes leaving something unexplained. Especially since they're playing up Dog as being this mysterious badass that came out of nowhere. Makes your story better. Just let things be mysteries. It's fine. Maybe Dog is just God. He's come down to to save us. Oh my god, what if Dog is just the divine hand of God shooting terrorists? (laughs) Anyway... He was used to moving where he wanted to and getting into places without being seen. He had been doing it for a long, long time. Confirmed. Definitely Definitely God. God. (laughs) (laughs) The radio clipped onto Walt Graham's belt crackled. He lifted it and said, Graham, Chief Hartwell of the Greenleaf PD, said excitedly, getting reports that the hostages in the administration building have escaped. I'm on my way over there now. I'll meet you there, Graham said. He and Agent Vega of Homeland Security were studying the library building from a distance. They had to circle a block around the park-like plaza at the center of the campus to reach the administration building. By the time they did, they found several dozen former hostages huddled together, surrounded by weapons-toting SWAT officers. Hartwell arrived at the same time and ordered, Get these people well away from the building! They need to be taken safely beyond the perimeter and debriefed. I think there would be a better way to describe these people than former hostages. 
Like, yeah, yeah. Hold on a minute, Graham said. What happened in there? How did you get away from those terrorists? Dog All the, the terrorists are dead. <laughs> a man in the uniform of the college's maintenance department answered. The maintenance man you is overpowered them? <laughs> yeah. Jake is taking the back seat. It's all maintenance, it's all maintenance man. man. Maintenance man and dog. I'd read that, I'd read book. that book too. I'd read that book. Given too. that dog is just this cartoonish, you know, Chuck Norris meme style badass, yeah, I would totally read The Adventures of Maintenance Man and Dog. His only talent is he's got a ring of keys. <laughs> <laughs> All the terrorists are dead, a man in the uniform of the college's maintenance department answered. You overpowered them, Graham said, somewhat amazed by the idea. Yes, I did, by myself, with my (laughs) keys. keys. (laughs) We didn't do anything, the man replied. It was that other guy, the old guy. Oh, I'm sorry, are we not, are we going to forget the guy who shoulder checked the last terrorist? Yeah, that guy's a hero too, come on. That's right. What old guy? I don't know where he came from. The maintenance man looked around at the other hostages. They shook their heads to indicate that they were just as baffled as he was. He was just there all of a sudden, shooting those terrorists. I don't know where he I came from. I never saw I don't know anybody where... handle a gun like that. I don't know where he go. Where did he come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> when they were all down, he told us to get out, and believe you me, we weren't going to argue with him. But I was going to was... take the time to stop and ask who you are. Mm. Who was this man you never saw before? Vega asked. Just some old guy. He was an old man? Graham's voice was sharp as he posed the question. Well, actually, come to think of it, it's hard to say. What? The maintenance man scratched his chin. He had mostly gray hair, and his face had this well-worn look to it, you know, like he'd been around for a long time, but dang... He moved like a 22-year-old athlete. Is the narrator unreliable Even as scared now? as I was, I could tell that much. Some of the others nodded in agreement, evidently equally impressed with their rescuer. Did he tell you his name? Vega asked. Exasperation crept into her voice. That's another funny thing, the maintenance man replied. I asked him about that. He said to call him Dog. All right, I'm I'm gonna make a prediction okay. here. <clears throat> uh, following in line with Joe's earlier theory that this is Jake and old man makeup, mm-hmm. I am gonna put some. And I'm gonna put a stake down that um, it's Jake and old man makeup from the drama department or whatever, sure. uh, using it as a disguise to infiltrate to get into the you know to get into position, and then he's gonna kill all the terrorists. Uh, get rid of of the makeup and like not take credit for what he done, and he's gonna pretend like he wasn't involved at I all. Like your style, you know. There's really only one flaw in your in your theory here, Chris. What's that? Jake would never have anything to do with those people in the drama oh, department. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't like those drama types. Um, did that scene? accomplish anything which one um the the whole bit with the the former hostages recapping their experience with dog 
You know, it's Which funny the because audience also have already experienced. When you put it like that, it's almost as if you could just remove the entire scene of going over the whole uh, dog thing mm-hmm. and just like cut that mm-hmm. out and just spontaneously we're following the FBI hostages come out and like, what's going on? Where where did you come from? And then they describe what they saw, yeah. and that's the only information you get on dog. But then you wouldn't have had that cool gun action. Oh wait, I think there's uh, there's some answers coming here. Oh. Dog, Vega repeated with a disgusted snort. That's all. Just dog. I hate dog. Just dog. <laughs> It was Graham's turn to repeat something, as he said softly, under his breath, Just dog. Wait a minute, Vega snapped. That means something to you. Because people talk like this. A long time ago. This dialogue is not good. A long time ago. And I'm talking about going back 30 years or more. When I was just starting out in the Bureau, we used to hear rumors about a guy who went by the code name Dog. Nobody knew who he was or if he even really existed, but the stories about him said that he was some sort of freelance troubleshooter who answered only to the president. He had been a truck driver, so he roamed around the country in this specially outfitted truck, looking for, well, wrongs to right, corny as that sounds. This Sometimes. is the most ridiculous would, thing I've ever heard. I mean, you know, if, this sounds like the beginning of another it book. It does. I, I don't know why we're introducing a much more interesting character. Um, I mean, if you want to have this like weird truck driver vigilante, like that's fine. But of all the people for him to only answer to the president of America. <laughs> what? That's a that, I mean, I would say that current events have shown that's a real dangerous person to for anyone to answer. I mean, that the, uh, that's yeah, absolutely. Like that's fine to think about that. There's just this shadow operative answering only to the president. Maybe with like you know older presidents, ones that that had like a lot more behind the curtains intrigue going on with like assassinations they need to pull off. I mean, even then, like there are larger organizations that I feel like are more qualified to make those decisions. Excuse me. It's it's a very thin premise is all I'm saying. Well, sometimes government would point him in a certain direction and turn him loose like a force of nature. But most of the time, He found his own cases, and he did a lot of good for a while before he dropped completely out of sight. Vega stared at Graham for a long moment before she made another disgusted sound and said, You believe that fairy tale? Some sort of super agent working for our side? There was nothing super about him, Graham said. He was a guy, a very dangerous guy, sure, but definitely human. What else would he be? This about, isn't some sort of fantasy world, Agent Graham. I thought about farting, and it was more engaging than this. <laughs> I know that. It's just curious, that's all. Nobody knows what became of Dog. Some said the mob or a terrorist organization had killed him. Others claimed he'd retired and was living somewhere deep in the woods, figuratively and literally, 
where he'd never be found again. You know what thought I just had? And I'm not going to look into it and find out. I wonder if Dog exists in another one of this writer's books. And this is like Mm. an MCU-style tie-in. That would be delightful, actually. That That would elevate this whole thing for me. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the Johnstone expanded universe being built. You know, I I'm sorry, but I have to die on this hill real quick. That's a terrible comparison, Joe. Um, my father and I, he's never seen a, like any other Marvel movie ever. Mm-hmm. He and I went to went to see Endgame and he thoroughly enjoyed it because the movie gave you enough information and set it up you know, well, so that you could be clued into what's going on. Right. Which is not happening here. Yeah. Well, I am going to be fair to the book for just yeah, a second and say that we haven't even read two pages yet, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, <laughs> we, we do have to give it a right. little bit of time. I, actually, I like the <laughs> idea that that loyal Johnstone readers are like, holy fuck, dogs in this? <laughs> and are just losing their minds. We should move on. I got, we got really <laughs> hung up on dog. Some said he was still out there after all these years, working behind the scenes to bring down the bad guys, doing the dirty jobs that nobody else can do because all the rules and regulations tie their hands. A government-sanctioned vigilante, Vega said flatly. Graham shrugged. I'm just telling you what I've heard, that's all. I don't know if it's him or not, but somebody killed those terrorists and freed the hostages. One of the campus cops ran up, panting a little as he said, Agent Graham, we've just gotten word that all the hostages in Olmstead Hall have been freed, and the gunmen who took over the building have been killed. We Graham's should be doing throws. things to secure the premises, but we're having a conversation about the fairy tales right yeah. now. He looked over at Vega and said, I don't know who's doing it, Agent, but it seems like somebody is cleaning house. Chapter 39 Before leaving the fourth floor, Jake told Pierce that he was going to stop one floor below and send Dr. Montembol and the other former hostages down there up to the fourth floor. You'll have a larger force that way, he explained, and a second gun, too, if you need it. Not that Matambal was any sort of fighter unless he was pressured and panicked into it, Jake thought, but that was better than nothing. Seems like a bad fighter. Yeah, you don't want a panicked fighter. Like, that's not actually better than nothing. Jake is a non-combatant. Get him out of there. (laughs) I'll see if I can't get the folks on the second floor loose, too, he went on. And if I do, I'll send them up here to join you. If you have to make a stand, this is as close to the high ground as you're going to find. Be careful, Jake, Pierce said. You may have whittled down the odds, as you put it, but there are still a lot of guys with guns in this building who would like to see you dead. The feeling's mutual, Jake said. That's a good... He lifted a hand in farewell and stepped into the stairwell. I really hate that, reading it out loud. He lifted a hand in farewell and stepped into the stairwell. Yeah, like, I can't imagine that was meant to rhyme. No, no. It just, just uh, moving yeah. on. 
you know what would be kind of interesting at, at this point, following Jake's perspective, is what it would be like to initially, since he was in the army, be working with a squad for checking corners and everything, and then going in by himself and like how that's different. That would be interesting, and we're, we're not, not going to get, get that. that. He moved quietly and stopped to listen every few seconds, just in case more of Foster's followers were creeping up the stairs toward him. He didn't hear anything or run into anybody by the time he reached the third floor. He pulled back the door, but before he stepped in, out into the open, he called, Dr. Montembal, it's me, Jake Rivers. He didn't want Montembal getting trigger happy and blasting away at the slightest movement. Then why did you give him a gun? <laughs> Mr. Rivers, Montembal exclaimed, somewhere to Jake's right. You're alive. We heard more shots from the fourth floor and weren't sure what to think. Jake stepped out of the stairwell and grinned. He didn't feel much like smiling after everything that had happened, especially Natalie's betrayal. But it never hurt to keep your spirits up, and those of your allies as well. That's right. Terrorists have taken over my college and killed a bunch of people, and I have to fight for my life, but that bitch turned mm -hmm. on me. <laughs> That's, yeah, we, we, we get you, Jake. Mm -hmm. we, we feel you, brother. That's right. Come on, folks, he told Montembal and the other people here on the third floor. Pointing upward with a thumb, he went on. I want you to head up I want you to head on up to four. There's a kid named Pierce Connors up there who's working with me, and he's forded up with the people who were working on that floor. You can join them. Will it be safer up there? the professor asked. Well, I don't honestly know, but they say there's safety in numbers. There'll be more of you in case you have to put up a fight. Some of you guys gather up guns and ammunition from the men I killed. Nobody moved to accomplish that. <laughs> Please, go oh, ahead. Does anyone else get really bored when characters talk for a long time in this book? Um, yeah. I find that this dialogue yeah. just bounces off of my brain. I yeah, the I, I've honestly, like, I, I really have just completely disengaged and like um, what did i have for breakfast i can't today? imagine sitting down and reading this as a book it's the the dialogue is just tinny yeah. really is all it is it's no one talks like this nobody moved to accomplish that grisly chore jake glared at them and managed to hold in the caustic comments he wanted to make about snowflakes and pajama boys jake it's a life or death situation so to take it back one Right. I need you to take about twenty percent off that, there, yeah. Jake. <laughs> uh, also, uh, non-combatants like being uh, locked up in a situation of this, uh, of this magnitude—that's completely unexpected. Yeah. Fucking pansies. The stern look was enough to make a couple of the men budge. Head on up when you've got that done, Jake told Montembal. I'm I'm just not cut out for this. You're doing fine, Professor. You don't understand, Montembal said. I don't want to do fine. I don't like knowing that I'm actually capable of such, such savagery. Those guys who are willing to kill hundreds of innocent people to get what they want, they're the savages, Doc, not us. Oh my God. Just remember that. The, this writer is so contemptuous of these imaginary 
the this imaginary you know liberal college culture that it's invented for itself that it's mocking survivors in a hostage situation to still hammer in that fucking point fuck this book <laughs> also um and I, I and i feel like this is a big problem from jake um you never put a gun into someone's hand if they're not willing to use right. it. Like that, that that's not useful. It, like, so if right. this guy's saying this, then say, all right, get, like if there's, if someone else is willing, take the gun if it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, get out of the building. And, and if this, oh, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. I was just going to say like, um, Jake was in the military and people like i i'm not going to to get into respect of the veterans obviously they're serving you know i appreciate the sacrifice and the job that they're doing but part of that job is literally going through weeks of having that part of your brain that doesn't want to kill other human beings turned Mm. off because you have right. to like that's part of basic training ask any veteran they will tell you that is part of basic training learning how to kill another person if you sure. have to so yeah maybe some guy who's a college professor might be having some feelings mm-hmm. about that and in a follow up to that point if this if this book wanted to be a thrilling tale of heroism then wouldn't it be much more exciting for Montembal to just, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not accustomed to these acts of violence. And then he just steps up and becomes an action hero and, and you know, defends his thing. Wouldn't right. that be a much more yeah. exciting story than just fucking fuck that guy and his weak, not wanting to shoot people ways. Fuck his humanity. Yeah. And also what could be interesting is like, say Montembal shoots someone and you like start shivering. It was like, that felt good. What the fuck? And like, and he has to like, think about his, like his whole dynamic of everything in himself and question things. This, this. Hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, Montembal is not going to be a point of view character. He's just a foil for Jake to stand yep. against. Or, uh, a straw man for Jake to set on fire. Right. Jake started on down the stairs, hoping Montembal wouldn't pass out if he found himself facing trouble oh again. God. Or worse, try to reason with Foster's bunch. You couldn't reason with thieves and killers. Uh, uh, Are, uh, uh, shouldn't that isn't be, he a killer? Shouldn't that be terrorists? I mean, yeah. I Like... Jake himself has killed how many people? Yeah. So honestly, also like, thieves. Yeah, you, that's actually you where can I was reason yeah. with <laughs> just because you committed an act of theft doesn't mean that you're irrational. What? Uh, it, it's funny. Uh, I it, I watched. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll make this real quick. I I, just, I, I watched a YouTube video the, the other day of uh, this the America's former number one. Uh, 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 gem, uh, uh, tumbling over my words, uh, gem thief, mm-hmm. and 
he went to prison and got reformed and now he's and he does talk all kinds of talks about you know like what makes a good person bad person yada 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 you know turning your life around so on and so forth so yeah thieves can be reasoned with yeah how many elite hackers now work for the federal mm-hmm. government making uh you know programming and finding chinks in things so that uh, we're all more protected mm-hmm. like he was moving faster now as his anticipation grew he had slipped a fresh fully loaded magazine into the glock once he reached the second floor this writer recognizes the difference between a clip and a magazine though once he reached the second floor he would probably need it he told himself (sighs) no way were any of those bastards giving up their shot at a share of a hundred million dollars without a fight Okay, I, I, I'm assuming there's a bounty on his yeah, head. Yeah, reason. He made the turn at the landing between the second and third floors, but froze as he heard a sharply indrawn breath in front of and slightly below him. Someone was coming up the stairs toward him. Um, Jake? A familiar voice said. Jake? Is that you? She had to have heard him. She knew he was there. <gasps> but she might not be absolutely sure of his identity. He might have been another of Foster's men. If he spoke, there was a good chance she would aim at his voice and open fire. Jake, if that's you, you have to help me. I don't want to do this anymore. It was all a terrible mistake, and I'm so sorry. A pleading note entered Natalie's voice. Please, Jake, I'm putting my life in your hands. Joe, Mm -hmm. um, just out of curiosity, um... Whoever this female character is, I'm assuming it was the previous love yeah. interest. Um, <clears throat> from what you saw, was was she like a, a drama major or something? Uh, no, she was because that would have been interesting. No, she was a a teacher at the college. That's of not course. ethical. Yeah, there's some right. some power dynamic issues there, but it's all fine. Um, yeah, but, but wouldn't it have made more sense if she was? in some way related to acting and then like that came into play here. Eh. Um, but in just some context for the audience, I believe she was coerced into joining the terrorists. Mm. Well, you know, that actually checks out at least like a, a lot of people in, you know, at least my understanding of the complicated sort of situation that is Middle East terrorism is that most people don't sign up for it because they want to. It's more of a kind of you have to Mm. or we'll kill your entire... A a long time ago, I heard a comparison that uh, like Islamic terrorist organizations have more in common with LA street gangs than they do militaries. Hmm. And I think that's a really profound sort of thing to view it right. by. Right, no, that makes a lot of sense. Natalie, he said. He couldn't hold it back. Her name had formed on his lips before he could stop it. Muzzle flame ripped through the gloom in the stairwell. The gunshot crashed against his ears. The bitch! Jake triggered three swift shots before he realized something was wrong. As he heard a soft cry, he realized what it was. 
The shot fired at him had come from lower down on the steps than Natalie had been when she was talking to him. That meant someone else had fired it. The two of them Th- weren't alone. Does it say in the that stairwell. in the book? Yeah, <laughs> that meant so. There are a lot of of lines like that where the audience is given context clues and descriptive information that's like this is happening, and then I guess in case we don't get it, the book just says that thing happened. Yeah, um, I've heard yeah. That there's a lot of times. that. Uh, yeah. Don't underestimate your audience. Uh, no, just, just they just gotta walk it home, <laughs> walk it home every time. It's... That didn't mean Natalie actually regretted what she had done and wanted to turn on Foster. Maybe she had just been trying to get him to talk so the other gun wielder could zero in on him. That seemed more plausible than her having a change of heart. He pressed himself back in the far corner of the landing and kept the pistol pointed down the shadow-choked stairs. The shot fired at him hadn't struck him, and he hadn't heard the slug hit the wall or ricochet off anything. A cold ball formed in the pit of his stomach as he realized where it might have gone. A faint moan came from somewhere down the stairs, then a grated curse in a man's voice. Jake heard sounds like somebody trying to climb to his feet. A hand slapped quietly against the wall for support. Bitch, the man muttered. Could have told Matthias not to trust her. Traitorous slut. Unsteady footsteps started up the stairs. Jake stayed where he was and waited, although that was difficult now. I'm surprised those weren't just Jake's thoughts. (laughs) Jake made out a shadowy form bending over something on the stairs. Then he heard the man mutter, The girl. But if I hit her... That's right, you bastard, Jake said. You missed me. Flame licked from the Glock's muzzle as Jake fired three more times. The bullets ripped through the man on the stairs and flung him backward. He went down the stairs to the second floor landing in a wild, out-of-control tumble. When he stopped, Jake didn't hear him moving anymore. Um, The loving, almost pornographic descriptions of firearms and bullets entering human bodies are really yeah, it's, interesting. It's, like it's the one thing that, that this writer like puts a lot of thought into. It's the pornography of violence. Taking the stairs two at a time, Jake went down until he came to Natalie's crumpled shape. A part of him still didn't want to trust her. A rattlesnake could still sink its fangs into you even after the scaly son of a bitch was dead. But Natalie wasn't moving, and as Jake stuck the gun behind his belt and knelt on the stairs to take hold of her, he could tell how limp she was. But not dead. He moved his hand to her throat and found a pulse there. It was fast, but fairly steady. Jake lifted her. Wait, 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 wait. How about cutting out the but not dead and just... He moved yeah. his fingers to her. And Look, if we pulse. stop every time there's bad <laughs> writing in this book, we're never going to get to the end of it. We're here to like, do. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Fuck this book. <laughs> Jake lifted her, held her against him, and explored her body for wounds. Her big hand found the way. Interesting his, choice his of words. Oh, well, we're, Jake's yeah. got big hands. He's a big man with yeah, big hands. Yeah, you know what that means. <laughs> oh, God. 
His big hand found the wet, sticky spot on her back, a little below her right shoulder. There was no matching exit wound on her front. The bullet was still in her. If it hadn't struck a bone and bounced around to do a lot of internal damage, the wound might not be a fatal one. Natalie needed medical attention, though, and pretty quickly. He gathered her in his arms and stood up. As he started back up the stairs, she stirred slightly against him and murmured, Jake? Yeah, I've got you, he said. You're going to be okay, Natalie. Lucy. Whatever. <laughs> Not Lucy. That was Matthias's idea. I'm Natalie. What happened? One of Foster's men shot you in the back. I'm going to get some help for you. Guess he didn't really trust me after all. I told him I'd come after you. Kill you. But I was lying to him. Just wanted to tell you how sorry I am about lying to you. But not all of it was a lie. I hate that. I I, I literally hate every bit of that. My God. <laughs> oh. Um, well, tell, tell what, what specifically about that bothers you just because I'm interested to hear you talk about it. I absolutely, I mean, I don't even know this character. I haven't read the center portion you of this book. I didn't get any generic female. I presume it's fine. Yeah, exactly. This is not a woman. This is a placeholder that happens to have a vagina that the author is putting in as, I mean, she even fucking betrayed him for Christ's mm-hmm. sake. Could we be any more tropey? Mm-hmm. Is she going to end up in the goddamn fridge? Mm. Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) This is a good book. He didn't want to get into any of that now. This wasn't the time or place, and besides, he wasn't sure he would ever believe her again. But he didn't want her to die, either, if there was anything he could do to save her life. She didn't seem to weigh much in his arms as he climbed the stairs. When he reached the fourth floor, he balanced her against him and opened the door, then called, Pierce! Doc! Pierce and Montembal came running from somewhere else on the floor. When Montembal saw the woman in the large bloodstain on the back of her shirt, he exclaimed, Oh my God! What happened? Is that... Dr. Burke? Oh no! Hold on, Professor, Pierce said. You don't know what happened down on the lower level. She's one of them. I don't care about any of that right now, Jake said. She's hurt, and I don't want her to bleed to death. Jake went very quickly from the only good terrorist is a dead terrorist to know we have to help her. Yes, well, you see, this one he cares about because she's the woman he was sleeping with, and that makes him have a responsibility to protect Mm. her like a good father. Mm. I mean, lover. I mean, son of a bitch. God, I hate this guy. Such a shit bag. (laughs) (sighs) He carried Natalie over to one of the desks, cleared it with a swipe of his arm, and carefully laid her face down on it. One of you get over here and put some pressure on this wound. Pierce and Montembal looked at each other. The professor's eyes were huge with apprehension. Pierce nodded in resignation and came over to the desk. Jake had already ripped a large piece off the tail of Natalie's shirt and folded it into a pad. Hold this on there, he told Pierce. Don't be afraid to press down on it. The most important thing right now is stopping the bleeding. 
Doctor, you take a look around and see if you can find some alcohol, something like that. A bottle of booze will do if nobody's got if anybody's got one stashed in their desk. I don't think infection is the most whatever it's, it's, stopping so, the bleeding yeah. and keeping infection is is pretty important sure. well i mean i mean, I mean, I mean like, like like they're like she's gonna be at a hospital though like won't won't they be able to take care of it there i mean one would hope yeah. but it's first aid it's triage mm. it it it's not anything like, helps it's not like they're out in the woods and they're not going to be able to get to medical help in like within 12 hours yeah, yeah. I mean, they are on a college right. campus. There is probably a hospital nearby. But I think there's also still active shooters in the building. They can't uh, exactly get her out until that is resolved. So sure. I'm sure that's not the case, Montembal said. But there may be a first aid kit somewhere up here. I'll ask the people who work on this floor. Someone will know. <clears throat> Jake nodded and said, you're doing good work, both of you. Now I need to get back to what I started. He reached out, touched Natalie's shoulder for a second. She appeared to be unconscious now, killing the rest of those sons of bitches. Woo! Chapter 40 Matthias Foster paced back and forth, his anger visible in the quick, cat-like strides. His last radio check had gotten no response from the administration building, as well as two of the other buildings his men had taken over. That could only mean the situation was continuing to deteriorate. He was starting to think that he had spread his forces too thin. Maybe it would have been better if he had concentrated on the library and brought all of his men here. He would have had fewer hostages that way, but the chances of holding out would have been better. You know, I, I want to know, I, I'm hoping that in this chapter, we get to understand what the motivations were behind a terrorist organization taking over a college. Mm -hmm. uh, like, well, they, they, they make brief mentions of, like, loads of money, so I... That's, I'm, 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 yeah, I mean, they, apparently they're, the terrorists themselves are in line to get $100 million if they kill Jake. Mm -hmm. So they have money. What what do you gain by violently taking over a college? Yeah, like what point is this making? Um, having read most of this book as prep for this episode, there's kind of this vague suggestion of like a shadow plot by an actual terrorist organization to manipulate these college students into doing this. But it's still real murky on like what's mo like what their motivation is for doing it. <laughs> I, I think the implication being that they're just weak-willed and easy to manipulate. <clears throat> he was starting to think that he had spread his forces too thin. Maybe it would have been better if he had concentrated on the library and brought all of his men here. He would have had fewer hostages that way, but the chances of holding out would have been better. The other scenario had seemed so much more dramatic, though. Taking over an entire college campus and threatening to blow it off the face of the earth. That was the sort of thing legends were made of. Yeah, if he was able to pull legendary. this off, his name would go down in the annals of terrorism. 
right next to Osama bin Laden. Oh my god! So that's literally yeah. It's, it's just a supervillain plot. Yeah, I, I, I think you'd have to do. I like. I don't know. I just feel like you have to be more impressive than that to go up with the likes of Osama bin Laden. Like, like he, yeah. he led an organization. Like you might read a Timothy McVeigh. You, I mean, you pretty much have to be funded by the fucking CIA and trained mm-hmm. and equipped by the CIA to end up next to Osama bin Laden. It's true. But we don't want to talk about no. that. Which even the, the point that I made, like this is more on the level of a Timothy McVeigh. Know right. the difference between those those two actors and um, draw your own conclusions. <sighs> of course... In reality, he was more like D.B. Cooper, he supposed. What? A guy who got away with a fortune through sheer daring and audacity. And like Cooper, if he pulled this off, he would never be seen or heard from again. Who's D.B. Cooper? That name is vaguely familiar. Um, He was an actor, I believe, in the 30s or 40s. I don't really know. Um, no, no, no. He was the guy. Which, he, of course, just... He got a sum... No, he took in an plane hostage and oh, i want to say like oh, the 50s the or 60s um, mm. and he he demanded um a sum of money and a parachute and just and just disappeared and was never found again and it was a big kind of unsolved mystery situation yeah like like well right. like, like an actually well planned yeah. thing uh, uh did, was no one harmed in the db cooper no, incident no one was hurt see that that's a mastermind yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that. this is not no, that. No, I, I don't even know how you draw a connective tissue between those two things. Now, though, with things going worse, it felt like all that was slipping away from him, and that angered Foster. He paused in his pacing, lifted the radio to his mouth, and called the Language Arts Building, where three of his men had been in control of 87 hostages the last time he had checked in. I'm sorry, did he say three of his men in control of 87 hostages? Yeah, the fuck does that work? Well, you see, they're, they're pussy intellectual types uh, that work on a college campus, so. Okay. Mark? Mark? Foster if there said? There was a sound How's there, it, looking it was me there? hitting my head on my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Foster said. How's it looking there? Mark? This time there was no response. Foster cursed and was about to lower the radio when it suddenly crackled to life. This isn't Mark, a strange voice said. The resonant voice belonged to a man. It held just a trace of a southern drawl, almost indistinguishable, but there. It's Foster's hand. You could have all of that could have been one sentence. A male voice with a southern accent spoke into the walkie-talkie, whatever, and saved. Yeah, but why use why use one word when you could use eighty-seven? God, this book sucks. It makes you seem smarter. Uh, Foster's hand tightened on the radio as he said, "Who's this? Somebody you don't want to know, Matthias." But I have a feeling we'll be making each other's acquaintance before the day is over. It's kind of an old joke, but when you use more words, it makes you sound more photosynthesis. (laughs) Rivers? 
Rivers, is that you, you son of a bitch? Not exactly. Where are my men? Hell, more than likely, the answer came. Foster expected that, but it felt like a punch in the gut anyway. Things were getting worse all the time. But he still had cards to play. He said, I guess you got everybody out of the building? It's just me now, the man said, but I'll be coming for you soon. I don't think so, asshole. Foster's other hand dived in his pocket and came up with the radio he used as a detonator. Each of the bombs had a specific frequency, ones that were off-limits for normal voice communication. One-handed, Foster changed the switch on the handheld unit to the frequency of the bomb planted next to the language arts building. He thumbed the transmit key and with satisfaction heard the heavy thump of the explosive going off across campus. That was enough to make the hostages here on the lower level of the library scream and yell again. They probably thought they were next. Not yet, but soon, maybe. Foster had long since decided that if he put his plan into action, he would never be taken alive. But with any luck, he wouldn't have to worry anymore about whoever had been disrupting things. There was a possibility the blast hadn't killed him, but in all likelihood, it had. And there's a possibility that the sun won't come up, (laughs) but in all likelihood, it will. You know, when when authors put lines like that in books, it's basically just a giant flashing signal that, hey, it didn't work and Guy's still alive. Yeah, yeah. A smirk was forming on his face when the radio crackled again. That same voice drawled, I never said I was still in the building, Matthias, just that all the hostages were out. I'm still coming for you once I've finished with all your flunkies. Why would you assume that he's still in the building if all the hostages have gotten out? What? I I mean, he did say, it's just me now. So, I guess that... uh, And and I'll give it to the book again. I'll I'll give it this, at least. They didn't, like, drag it out and try to make it, you know... Uh, Yeah, was he there? Was he Some kind of big thing, right? But but just the idea of him just hanging out in the building after all the hostage like what the fuck would he have to gain by doing that right also uh real quick because joe you read earlier on uh was part of the terrorist plan alerting the fbi that there were bombs on campus or was that a secret no the the bombs were uh a twist like that they kind of set up like they're stealing maintenance uniforms and like going about some clandestine plot um, but these bombs are like a plot twist that happens in this part of the uh, are are the FBI aware of them as part of a threat like where they like don't come in or we'll blow up buildings I don't... so right, I think I'm, they I'm were just curious. using the hostages as human shields and I, and I could be wrong um, right and then then the bombs just kind of show up okay. Foster jerked the radio up to his lips, but he was too, he- but he was too filled with rage to form words. This book is having a similar effect on my brain, so <laughs> I get it. Instead, he let out an incoherent sound that was half growl, half shout, and flung the radio away from him. It bounced and slid across the Fuck floor. 
<laughs> he stood there for a long moment, trembling inside from the depth of his anger. He hadn't heard anything from Natalie since she had gone up the stairs after Rivers. Or from the guy he'd told to follow Real her. Real quick. Since he didn't fully trust her. I'm trying to figure, work out the implications of the phrase trembling inside. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, what? When you put those words in that order, what do they mean? I mean, I think it means he really needs to go to the bathroom. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, when you said that, I just, in my, in my, my head brain, uh, my, my mind's eye, I just saw like the stomach tap dancing on top of a colon, like, hello, baby, <laughs> hello, my darling, hello, my tongue cow. Mm. I hate it when my organs vibrate. What? <laughs> <laughs> just having a nice conversation at dinner all of a sudden <laughs> yeah <laughs> he stood there for a long moment trembling inside from the depth of his anger he hadn't heard anything from natalie since she had gone up the stairs after rivers or from the guy he'd told to follow her since he didn't fully trust her had something happened to them could things really get any worse? Foster took a deep breath and looked around, studying the frightened faces of the hostages. He had only two men besides himself left on this level, and he'd had to pull one of them down from the first floor. Those weren't good odds. If the hostages ever decided to rush them, it wouldn't end well for Foster and his allies. Fortunately, the chances of that happening were insignificant, in his opinion. These were college students and staff, after all. They had been thoroughly indoctrinated in the same sort of progressive claptrap he had once believed himself. They considered themselves superior, the elite who were too smart, too woke to ever embrace violence. That reference is, that, 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 that language is never going to get old. I mean, the, it, this book is firmly lodged in its own asshole. You know, its own asshole. Um, but also a very specific point in time. Like, this book is going to be dated now Bailey, with the references it's, all, it's making yeah it's already yeah, yeah it's like, already dated it came out and you said like 2018 i believe right? so yeah yeah so i mean this was all very much let's let's just call a spade a spade here this was all very much because of trump getting sure. elected and the pushback by you know antifa across the country and the emboldening of nazis mm -hmm. all across the country when that happened and the reasonable people on the right having a uh, a concern about the left speaking mm -hmm. up and you know it, it's it's just adding more divisiveness right. is all this um, is doing. there it's is just... actually it doesn't name names but there's a throwaway line in the earlier part of the book that makes reference to the the president and like yeah the, this guy's gonna keep him in line Right, so it, it, it's, I, it's saying a very specific thing. Just, just woke though. Like that meme is old now. Right. Yeah. No, he yeah. says that. And and I kind of travel in the circles that would use that word, and and no one does. Yep. I mean, I I personally, again, I, I went to a community college and have an associate's degree, but. Uh, I, I feel like I'm part of the exact people that this book is railing against. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, obviously it's uh, it's it's getting a rise out of me, which it's designed to do. It was probably designed to hit and get uh, get read based on being provocative sure. in exactly this way. You know, it can simultaneously own the libs and masturbate itself. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> anyway. They considered themselves superior, the elite who were too smart, too woke to ever embrace violence. Unless, of course, it was, par- it was as part of a mob, preferably in hoods so their identity would be safe and they wouldn't get in trouble with the law or with mommy and daddy. You mean like the clan? <laughs> the college administration would let them get away with anything. That was a given. The inmates had long since taken over these particular academic asylums. Did I, what? Who hurt you, John Stone? Yeah, so mad. Like, what college did you go to? Um, I mean, th- this is an imaginary any. Right, like the, the, right. these, this call, this school, and these characters are a product of propaganda. There's no arguing that. No, I mean none of these. Ca- and and we give a lot of shit to Jake as being, you know, uh, it, it's fucking John Galt. Mm-hmm. But um, <sighs> none of these people are real. They're all straw men. Yeah. Like this is just a a giant. Parade of scarecrows mm. fighting amongst themselves. And how hard would it have been to write this book? Have enough of the first chapter to set up, like, you know, Jake is, he's kind of alienated. He's not fitting into college, but he's a cool badass. And just have a cool, I mean, you know, it's going to be middle of the road because, you know, the quality of the writing is what it is. But have an interesting action story. I mean, I don't even particularly hate the the concept of exploring. Here we have this person who's kind of out of his element, doesn't really fit in, has an ideological difference from those around sure. him, and gets into a number of conflicts in that regard. Sure, have him get into a fist fight right. or two. Um, you know, and they could have even done the trope then, of someone who served in the military and is trying to fit into civilian life. Right. You know, it worked out well for John Rambo. Yeah, there's a story um, there. <clears throat> yeah. A good story. But, uh, yeah, First Blood is an amazing book and movie. Um, I've not read the book. Oh, you should. It's great. That's a book you should okay. read, people. Um, we're not going to cover it because it's it's, it's good. good. Yeah. But, there's uh, no content there. <laughs> right. Um. But no, I mean, you like, just I know people personally. I am I am close personal friends with people who would fall on the right side of the spectrum politically, like, and they served in the military. They are people who have a great deal of pride in their country, and they also understand that the other side feels the same way mm-hmm. and wants the best for people. And this sort of thing is just 
this book is toxic. Yeah. It's it's really destructive. Yeah. Uh, it at this point, like early on, I thought this was going to be like a critical analysis of uh, of like left wing whatever. Uh, but at this point, it's it's not like it's not even like a bad attempt at that. It's just it's something completely different now. Mm. No, it's 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 genuinely just you know a. This book could have been written by Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're propping up all of these ridiculous straw man arguments one in a row so that they can self-congratulatory jerk themselves off and talk about how, you know, look at this real person, the only person who can really do anything. And oh, by the way, he's big <laughs> and he's male mm-hmm. and he's very importantly white. Mm-hmm. And also money. He has money mm-hmm. and he has training mm-hmm. and he has the ability to do everything. And he doesn't and need he's anybody come else in. to help him do. Yeah. Aside from his rich family, but that's fine. Right. Right. He got where he was on his own hard work and the money of his inherited grandfather. Um, quick. This is, this is a tangent. I was scrolling through the uh, the ebook trying to find a, a quote the uh, the quote about the president. I haven't found it. It's not that important. But there are previews for other books by this writer. One of them is called Black Friday. This isn't a teaser. We're probably not going to read this, audience. Um, Black Friday. The American Way Mall is packed with holiday shoppers. Machine gun rings out. Machine gun rings out. That's what it says. And within minutes of the attack, hundreds are dead and dying. Others are taken hostage by an army of Middle Eastern terrorists ready to blast the American way mall to rubble. That's really subtle symbolism. That Wow. <laughs> wow. But one yeah. man, Iraq war vet Toby Lanning, refuses to go down without a fight. <sighs> so it's just this book so, again wait, in a different environment. Yeah, like, wait, I'm like what? Right, but that time it's the scary brown people. This time it's the scary educated right. people. Um, so in case anyone was think this is just a weird fluke in in this writer's catalog, no. Uh, and and real real quick, um, and this is not uh th- this writer. This is. His, his weird niece ghostwriter. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. This is and and, and th- that's actually a point I'll get into in in the outro that there's a thing about that. But yes, it's not none of this was written by William W. Johnstone. It has his name in large letters on the cover. He was dead years before this book was written. Fortunately, the chances of that happening were insignificant in his opinion. These were college students and staff, after all. They had been thoroughly indoctrinated in the same sort of progressive claptrap he had once believed himself. They considered themselves superior, the elites who were too smart, too woke, to ever embrace violence. Unless, of course, it was as part of a mob, preferably in hoods so their identity would be safe and they wouldn't get in trouble with the law or with mommy and daddy. The college administration would let them get away with anything. That was a given. The inmates had long since taken over these particular academic asylums. 
and chances were, their families would, too. But there was just enough of a chance that wouldn't happen that they would want to be careful. The resistance was super important, but not at the expense of tuition, housing, and a mega-generous allowance. How many from much. the the billionaire? <laughs> yep. I uh, yep. <sighs> um, I feel the need to point out that there are multiple occasions in this book where Jake's rich grandfather bails him out of situations. Do you think there's any sense of irony there? Is there any no, sense of I that? Don't. Like, I, I think that it's just this layer cake of, of cynicism and dissonance. Yeah, it, it really is. It's just a giant, giant pile of cognitive dissonance served up on a platter. Yeah. So not much chance of this bunch risking their lives by fighting back. They were used to being sheep. Except being told for that one guy who shoulder-checked the... Whatever, whatever. <laughs> being told what to think and do every moment of their waking lives by the government and the media. And sheep they would remain. Oh, the Scared little delicious. Sheep. <laughs> Foster stalked over to the radio, picked it up, and keyed the mic, saying, Natalie? Natalie, are you there? Answer me, damn it. Jake had taken Natalie's radio and stuck it in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Jake had taken Natalie's radio and stuck it in his pocket before he started down the stairs. He heard Foster calling on it and was tempted to answer, just to throw a surprise into the son of a bitch. He decided not to. Better to let Foster stew in his own juices for a while and wonder what had happened to oh, Natalie. Good use of the audience's time. Jake thought about doing something. He didn't do it. Things continued on. <laughs> Jake wondered himself how she was doing. Liberal or not, Pierce seemed halfway competent. <sighs> and Montembal had proven not to be completely worthless. Does this person just think that like everyone in the military is conservative and not a single one of them is liberal? Because there are liberal people in the military. <laughs> That that happens. And, yeah, yeah. And, and the, I know some of them too. <laughs> Jake would have hated to place his life in the hands of either of them because they're not. Why did you give them a gun? Yeah. But he supposed they were better than nothing. That's Maybe not somebody among the freed true. hostages had some medical experience. <laughs> Kelton College had a pre-med program. He seemed to recall. He shoved his worries about Natalie out of his head. It hadn't been much more than an hour since she had shoved a gun in his side and threatened to shoot him in the heart, so no matter what he had believed, he was starting um, to feel for her. He didn't owe her a damn Can thing. you read that sentence about the gun again for me slowly? Yes. It hadn't been much more than an hour since she had shoved a gun in his side and threatened to shoot him in the heart. So no matter what he had believed, he was starting to feel for her. He didn't owe her a damned thing. Okay, because that's gun in the side, shot. Okay, it's fine. Well, you know, it depends on where in the side. Right under the rib, or right in the rib cage, uh, maybe. Under that's the arm. fair, that's yeah. A thing, yeah. It's, it's a clumsy way to, when, when, she, when, when 
they could have just sorry, I lost the ability to speak. Could have just as easily said chest, and it would have been less ambiguous in that way. But you're not wrong. Or it hadn't been much more than an hour since she had threatened to shoot him. Yeah, that's all you need. He could have left her to bleed to death on those damn stairs and not felt a thing. Maybe if he told himself that lie often enough, he might come to believe it. Aw, he has a heart. More pressing concerns took precedence. He had cleared Foster's minions from the third and fourth floors, but that wasn't true of the first and second. He didn't know how many gunmen were on those floors. The second floor wasn't that important now, Jake decided. He could afford to bypass it, because whoever was posted there wouldn't be able to come to Foster's aid right away if shooting broke out on the lower level. Because, you know, same... that's that's what you really want to do is, you know, sandwich yourself between between people with Yeah, guns. it's a real good idea to just go right down past the first, you know, past a group of armed assailants. Mm-hmm. Just, just go on past them and start opening fire on the first floor so that you know, they're going to be trapped up there on the second floor until you can go and get mm-hmm. to them, right? That's that's how because that works. Because those, those yeah. levels aren't going to load until you go through the... <laughs> right. Where's the FBI? Fucking around. Having a conversation about the existence of uh, dogs. Yeah, that's what they've been... Because, like, there, there are two markers, like, an hour later and, you know, an hour you know, before, throughout... And and I'm I'm only assuming that the conversation about dog is gone for all of it. <sighs> there's there's so much of this left. Yeah. <sighs> Where was I? Uh... Having a happy life before you started reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> The same couldn't be said of the men on the first floor. They could reach the lower level quickly just by bounding down one of the escalators, which are temporarily stairs, which were stopped now because the power was out. If he could deal with them, Jake thought, then Foster wouldn't have any backup left. He would be alone with however many of his men he had left, and that couldn't be many by this point. But Foster still had guns and plenty of ammunition and dozens of innocent hostages. If he and his men opened fire, they could slaughter many of the prisoners before they were overwhelmed. Jake wanted to prevent that saying? as possible. <laughs> if, if they point a gun yeah. at civilians and pull the trigger, <laughs> bullets would fly out and, <laughs> and kill, kill hostages. People, yeah. The threat of the bombs still remained. Jake thought he had heard something as he was stealthily descending the stairs. Something that might have been an explosion somewhere else on the campus. But in the stairwell, it was difficult to be sure. If Foster's men really had planted bombs all over the campus, the amount of damage they could do in human lives was incalculable. No! Jake's doubts wouldn't mean a damn thing in the face of that awful reality. Why? I mean, obviously the hostages are there. But if I'm I'm understanding what's happening correctly, they're all corralled into a specific building. Why haven't they been evacuating the college? Maybe they did in an earlier chapter. But but, but we're talking about how many lives these bombs could cost. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Uh, 
Well, you know, we don't know what the FBI is doing other than having a conversation about a potential urban legend, mm-hmm. government-sanctioned vigilante who apparently occasionally just takes it upon himself to decide this is a thing that needs to be stopped because I know the difference between right and wrong and goes in and kills yep. people. Um, so, and answers you know, only to I, the president. Right. Uh, I right. may be wrong, but I, I think what this author may be getting at with all this, with the FBI being ineffective and just common people with guns being more effective than the FBI is going to be like a gun ownership oh, yeah. point at, at I, some I agree level. Completely. Sure. Sure. It's a, you know, good man with a gun. But also I, I yep. like, I, I think that it's possible that the author just forgot that the FBI guys <laughs> were there because they're not needed in the story right now. There weren't many shelves on the ground level because mostly it was devoted to circulation with self-serve checkouts and a long counter where books reserved online could be picked up, overdue fines were paid, and other tasks like that were handled. I'm, Even I'm, in I'm really glad age. that they spelled that out because I just wouldn't have known. <laughs> Even in this digital age, there was still a need for human beings to do some things, just like there were still plenty of print books in the library. That there were also was not needed. <laughs> Although I guess there's some kind of like anti-technology message there. Sure. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking for stuff where there isn't um, anything. No, nothing was added uh, story by pointing out right. that even though digital things exist, physical things also exist. Like I know that there are libraries. Like I I, I go inside them sometimes. It's fine. <laughs> like. I, I can look to my left and see a book, even though we're reading this book in a digital format. Like, what the fuck was the point of that sentence? <laughs> there were also more than a dozen rows of computer stations that students could use. Everybody had the internet on their phones and tablets, of course, but sometimes you still needed a good old-fashioned desktop and printer. <laughs> Let's go fight the terrorists. Come on. A portion of the first floor was also given over to displays of sculpture and artwork. Kelton was proud of its arts program and showed off many works by students past and present. The front wall was mostly glass, giving the place plenty of light and a very airy feel. Jake had spent enough time in the library to be aware of all this. Just as a matter of habit, he constantly studied its surroundings and he had the sort of brain that once something was noted oh in it, he tended not to forget. He had no real reason for doing that, other than he liked to be prepared for whatever might happen. He could also juggle He had chainsaws. never forgotten a quote. He had, <laughs> he had never forgotten a quote he'd heard attributed to General James Mattis. Always have a plan to kill everybody in the room. That sounded like good advice to That's Jake, even up. though it came from a Marine. Wait, what? I mean, I, I was gonna, that sounded no, like no. I heard you. I was gonna comment on what kind of weird person thinks to themselves, "Always have a plan to kill everyone in a room that you're in." And then I was thrown out of that rant by the weird inter-branch military conflict thing that had nothing to do with anything. Yeah, yeah. Team building. Yeah. Team building. That's what it is. It's it's create and 
okay. <laughs> We're never going to get through this book, but that's okay because I, I, I feel like uh, I probably won't be able to keep going after the end of this chapter. But um, let's we just, should uh, if, if we're going to like finish and then um, the the chapter like forty three and a forty four are worth closing out on. Okay, so we can skip ahead from uh, yeah. from where we are right now and go ahead to that. But I mean, I mean, like what this... what, are, what are we gonna miss? Like more comments about like the faculty and so on. Jake defeats the terrorists. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty much just kind of scanning through it here real quick. Um, d- there's nothing. Nothing. There's um, kind of a boss battle with uh, Matthias, the kind of ringleader. Um, actually, that, yeah. And then, yeah, 43 and 44 are only like a few pages. Right. Okay. Um, but no, I, I, as I was going to say, um, this whole book, like that whole military army versus Marines kind of thing, the like, this is our team. And it, it's all, it's all that it's all, you have to be proud of your team, your people, your side. And those other people are absolutely inferior sure i mean sometimes they do okay things but they're not as good as your people Mm -hmm. and that mentality which it is a you know that that's a right-wing conservative sort of mentality everyone does it sure everyone does Mm -hmm. it but that's the root when when taken to extremes that's fascism that's that's what fascism is like that's yeah our team is our <laughs> team is the best taken to the extreme yeah, yeah. right and you know it, again it's not necessarily a bad thing because if i mean star trek versus star wars is a fun debate it's fun to root for your local sports team those are all the same thing mm-hmm. but that's just yeah. It just, it makes me sad, is all. Sure. This book makes me sad. <sighs> so we're going to jump ahead to chapter 43. Which is the epic boss fight between Jake and the terrorist ringleader. Excellent, excellent. As Jake ran after Foster, he glanced toward the elevator. Cal Granderson sat at the back of the car, having slid down it, leaving a bloody smear on the wall. His legs were extended out in front of him. His feet just reached the track where the doors ran and kept them from closing. Jake caught a glimpse of the young man's face, which seemed strangely at peace considering the state of his bullet-riddled body below. Jake didn't have time for anything else. He had to deal with Matthias Foster. Every instinct in Jake's body was screaming at him that the threat wasn't over. In fact, the worst might still be to come. Jake reached the spot where Foster had disappeared into the stacks. He paused long enough to glance over his shoulder. Some of the hostages had realized there was no longer anything stopping them from getting out of here. They stampeded toward the escalators, and the others began to follow them, tentatively at first, and then in more of a rush. 
A shot cracked, and a bullet whined off a metal shelf only a foot or so from Jake's head. He had taken his attention off the enemy for too long. He couldn't afford to do that. Crouching, he caught a flicker of movement at the far end of the long, narrow aisle and snapped a shot that way in return. Then, instead of charging along that aisle, he darted two over and headed down that one. He moved as quietly as possible, not wanting Foster to be able to track him by sound. This prose is so boring. Foster (laughs) would be doing the same thing he knew, keeping quiet trying to get the drop on him. But maybe Foster didn't have the patience for that, because he called, Rivers, you hear me? Jake stopped in his tracks, but didn't say anything. I know you're there, you big son of a bitch. (laughs) Take a drink. (laughs) It's not like... (laughs) It's not like you'd give up after coming this far and killing so many people, Foster laughed. Just how many have you killed today, Jake? You think you're the hero and I'm the bad guy but I'll bet you've got a hell of a lot more blood on your hands than I do. Foster was wrong about one thing. Jake didn't think of himself as a hero. Just a guy who could recognize when something needed to be done and who possessed the resolve to do it. He wasn't really thinking about what Foster was yammering about, though. He just tried to home in on the voice. It sounded like it came from a couple of aisles over. Everyone knows that the real heroes are the grocery store workers who are there because they absolutely want to be. (laughs) Jake looked at the shelves beside him. They were ten feet tall so that a member of the library staff had to bring one of the rolling ladders and climb on it to retrieve volumes from the top shelves. Thankfully, Jake himself was tall enough to reach the top. He's a big man. He is a big man. We know what library ladders are. Just tell the ceiling. us that there are ladders. It's fine. <laughs> the ceiling was 20 feet tall, like though, so there was a 10-foot gap again. between it and the tops of the shelves. You, you made that up. You made that no, up. No, no. The ceiling was 20 feet tall, though, so there was a 10-foot gap between it and the top of the shelves. Remember, wow. if you have six terrorists and you kill four, <laughs> you're left with two. <laughs> If you have a 20-foot-tall room with a 10-foot <laughs> shelf, there's a 10-foot gap. Johnstone really wants to make sure that you understand basic or, or that you realize mm-hmm. that he or she, she. knows basic, aris- basic, basic <laughs> arithmetic. <laughs> I can't speak anymore. <laughs> oh, doing this podcast has rotted our brains. Oh, my God. It's we, we've contracted brain worms. It's oh happened. my god! <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> you brought this on us, Joe. Jake tucked the pistol into the waistband of his jeans at the small of his back and pushed in some books in several places. That didn't make any noise, and neither did he as he used the handholds and footholds he had created and started to climb. Jake moves very quietly. Well, all that's going to change. Foster went on. <laughs> It won't be long now before the big body count will belong to me. I can't blow up the whole campus. I might as well admit that now. But you know what, Jake? I can call you Jake, can't I? Since we're about to be blown to atoms together. I can blow this library sky high. The detonator's right here in my hand, Jake. All I have to do is push it! Jake really wants to be diehard. Jake froze where he was. He didn't want to give away what he was trying to do. 
So he dropped back to the floor, landing lightly, and called, Don't do it, Foster. That brought another laugh from the terrorist. Oh my god, is he going to talk him down? Is Jake going to talk him down? No, Jake's not going to talk him down. Are you... (laughs) What book do you think you're reading? (laughs) Now you talk to me. You don't want to be blown up, do you? I don't really give a damn about that, Jake said. I just don't want you to die thinking that you're some sort of infamous mass murderer. You and me are the only ones left in this building. You blow it up, and we're the only ones you'll kill. That was a bluff, at least as far as he knew. Pierce and Montembault were still upstairs with the other hostages he had freed earlier. He supposed it was possible someone had been watching from a window and had seen the others fleeing, leading them to come downstairs and get out too, but Jake had no way of knowing that. He'd had his own hands too full to keep up with anything else. What? Foster snapped. You're lying. No, I'm not. I don't know who else you might have killed earlier, but blowing up this library won't get any more victims except a couple of nobodies. You and me, pal. As he said that, Jake wondered about Natalie. Was she still alive, or had she succumbed to her wound? Was she upstairs or already in custody? Jake hoped she survived. Not so much for her sake, although he had a hunch he'd always have a soft spot for her, but because she might be the only one left who could tell the authorities any details about Matthias Foster and his crazy, evil plan. That might help keep someone else from doing something similar in the future. Oh, okay. You know, this is an interesting point to bring up after we've killed all the terrorists. Foster was muttering something. Jake could make out a few vile obscenities, but the rest was an incoherent jumble. Finally, Foster called, Don't try to talk me into surrendering. I'll never be taken alive. Hold on, hold on, whoa. Victory or death! Jake... What was that? Jake makes out obscenities, which implies that he's making a moral judgment. This guy using potty words... Like, that's his internal yeah. monologue. Like, he, he made out vile obscenities. What? You're an adult. And you were in the fucking military. Joe, rule number one of the military when you're in boot camp is never curse. Never. Not once no, is no, a curse word ever used. Christian army. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of what this book wants but anyway yeah i made myself sad finally foster called don't try to talk me into surrendering i'll never be taken alive victory or death you colonel travis at the alamo jake said don't dirty up the words of a noble man foster he paused if you don't want to be taken alive forget about blowing anything up put that detonator aside step out and face me just the two of Just us. Just the two of us. <laughs> Foster laughed. Head to head? Mono a mano? Just oh like the God. showdown in every bad book ever written and every bad movie ever made? My trigger warning? So that you'll have the chance to deliver some classic badass line like yippee ki Yeah, this book really wants to be diehard. You have to have a lot of confidence in your product to do a fall break like that. Is this Uh this a review of the book? (laughs) (laughs) 
Screw it, Jake muttered. He swarmed back up the shelves, flung a leg on the top, powered up, what? leapt to the next one. Does he have jet boots? Sure now from the... <laughs> leapt to the next one, sure now from the conversation where Foster was, and dropped on top of the nut job while Foster was trying to dig that detonator out of his pocket. Oh my god. He hoped the jolt wouldn't make it go off. Yeah, yeah. You know what would be a better idea than like shooting him in the head? Like, I understand you want to take him alive for questioning, but, like, if he's got a detonator that can blow up, like, like lots of people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, he may not have a... I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's out of bullets. Who knows? <laughs> um. We, yes, we needed yes, a fist fight to happen, so it's happening. Yeah, right. That's what it comes down to. And Jake platforming from bookshelf to bookshelf. Right, and quietly. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then dropping down like Batman. Swear to me! <laughs> <laughs> he hoped the jolt wouldn't make it go off. Foster screeched curses, hammered fists at Jake's head, and tried to ram a knee into his groin. Jake was taller and heavier, but Foster battled with the strength of a madman, and the cramped quarters didn't help either. Foster chopped a glancing sidehand blow across Jake's throat, and while it wasn't powerful enough to crush his windpipe, for a couple of seconds, Jake couldn't breathe. Foster pulled back and managed to jerk something from his pocket. Jake tackled him, and as they both crashed to the floor, the little box slipped from Foster's fingers and bounced and slid away. He tried to scramble after it, but Jake grabbed him and swung him to the side, crashing him into the shelves. Foster kicked at him, caught him under the chin. That rocked Jake's head back and made the world go black for an instant. Foster got loose, went after the detonator. Snake. Snake? <laughs> Snake! <laughs> Jake snagged an ankle and it upended him again. Foster's hand hit the detonator and sent it skidding underneath one of the heavy shelves. This would have been such a better Foster's book if it had frustration. Big Boss in it. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Holy shit. Since he couldn't get the detonator, he scrambled to his feet and ran. Jake caught up with him in the study area with its comfortable furniture, where he and Natalie had met earlier that day, even though it seemed like days had passed since then. The diving tackle bought Brought both of them crashing down on the carpet. The comfortable furniture was really added a lot to this scene. <laughs> Foster fought like a wildcat. He was strong, wiry, and had blinding speed. Jake was extremely fast, especially for such a big man. <laughs> but Foster was even quicker. When did this turn into an anime? <laughs> he got a hand on Jake's face and gouged at his eyes, enough that Jake was blinded momentarily. He came up on his knees, pawing at his eyes with the back of his left hand. Foster leapt to his feet and clawed at the pistol he had stuck behind his belt earlier. Jake's vision cleared enough for him to see that. Why didn't you open with that? He reached for the gun at the small of his back, drawing faster than he ever had. Sometimes, real life just played out like a book or movie. Mm. Final shootout. The shots crashed together. Jake felt the impact against his chest and went over backward. As he fell, he watched through eyes gone hazy again, as Foster stumbled back and forth, trying to stop the blood that fountained from his bullet-torn throat. He couldn't do it, of course. 
and after a second, the gory stream slowed as his heart began slowing to its inevitable stop. He fell forward, and the blood began to form a slowly spreading pool under him. Jake lay there, mostly numb. He was only vaguely aware of the tactically armored, heavily armed figures that began to swarm around him a few moments later. We, we heard some out sort the of whole erratic conversation thumping. with dog, so now we're coming in. Yeah, <laughs> we got that. The dog, it's fine. We're coming in now. We're gonna get involved. <laughs> he heard some sort of erratic thumping, like the sound of distant drums, and wondered if that was his heartbeat. Then that went away, and so did he. Did Jake just die? Whoa! Whoa. The death toll of innocence that day at Kelton College was 16. It could have been much higher. Easily could have been. 23 terrorists were killed. It's a weird and necessary sentence eh? Five were taken into custody, including Dr. Natalie Burke, who was expected to recover, under heavy guard, of course. Walt Graham and Teresa Vega questioned all the surviving members of the group and eventually were convinced that they'd gotten them all. Nobody else was lurking out there, waiting to wreak bloody havoc on Kelton College. The campus was closed for two weeks to allow repairs to be made and all explosive devices to be removed. Getting rid of the bombs didn't take nearly as long as cleaning up the blood in the bullet holes. Just kind of well, symbolism? No, it, it, it wouldn't. Yeah, that's it's, just I mean, how stuff works. Right. There were also, like six you, bombs. You, and, and also, you you got to get rid of the bombs before you start anything else. Like that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to send janitors in there with, you know, bombs in the building. Uh, no, I disarmed it with my ring of keys. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, right. Maintenance, maintenance man, man and dog. Hero we deserve. Counselors provided by the college were overworked as they tried to help the students deal with the trauma they had gone through. This had been a macro aggression. <laughs> And some of those already easily triggered snowflakes would never get over it. That's called drama. Fuck, fuck this book. That was the trouble with being a snowflake. You melted if things got the least oh my bit warm. God, fuck the F this book in the A. <sighs> Dr. Alfred Montembal tendered his resignation from the faculty. He planned to go on a trip to France to see his ancestral homeland and allow his nerves to recover, he said. Pierce Connors remained enrolled, but he told the other members of his study group that he thought he would be studying on his own from now on. President Pelletier worked almost around the clock trying to keep the college's wealthy patrons, many of whom had children who'd been affected by the crisis. I like that we're doing an 80s movie-style montage. Yeah. <clears throat> Cordell Gardner could have led the charge by dropping his donations, and that might have been the death knell for the school. Instead, he helped Pelletier keep the place open, on one condition. At least it's not a damn statue, Jake said as he looked at the plaque with his name on it mounted next to the entrance of the Burr Memorial Library. Frank McRaney said, Hey, your grandfather told me he thought about making them rename the whole library but he decided the plaque was enough, since you didn't die and all. Yeah, staying alive fouled it all up, didn't it? Jake still had a few twinges in his chest now and then from the bullet that had ripped through there, but it hadn't hit anything too vital. 
The yeah, ladder pain would go away in your time. Chest. It's it's Probably. mostly just just fatty tissue. His organs it were just too hit his big hero to muscle. shoot. It shoot his hero. <laughs> he went on. You know, Granderson ought to have a plaque too. We'll put something up in the station for him. Don't worry. McCraney gave a slow shake of his head. He sure was an unlikable kid. Yeah, he was, Jake agreed, nodding. But when the time came, he did what he had to do, proving that assholes can be heroes, just like anybody else. (sighs) And a good thing, too, since most of us fall into that category at least some of the time. McCraney put a hand on Jake's shoulder. Are you really not coming back as a student? That's right. I'm just not cut out to be in college these days, Chief. If only you had figured that out a whole book ago. We but but if he had... He, but then the terrorists would have won. Um, right. You could be a campus cop. Oh, no. Spend every day dealing with these? No. Just no. All right. McCraney stuck his hand out. Come back to see us sometime, anyway. Sure, I'll do that, Jake said as he shook hands, even though he knew he wouldn't. McCraney headed off. Jake decided he would take one more walk around Nafziger Plaza, since it was a really beautiful autumn day, before he left for good. Classes had started again at last, and although a subdued atmosphere still hung over the campus, it was starting to get back to normal. Jake had walked halfway around the plaza when he became aware that a man had fallen in step beside him. Dog. Dog. Funny, he hadn't heard the guy come up at all. Even more surprising, when Jake glanced over, he recognized the man from Keith Randall's gun range. Mr. Rivera, he said. Not quite, Jake, Rivera said. We haven't been introduced, so I guess Keith told you my name like he told me yours. Not exactly. I've known who you are for a long, long time, Jake. And the name's not really Rivera, although I've gone by that for almost as long. It's Rivers, just like your mother's name. And your grandfather, Big Joe's name. Jake stopped and frowned over at the older man. What the hell are you saying? he demanded. I'm Barry Rivers. I'm your uncle. <laughs> bom, bom, bom. Should I care? I think this is dog. I, I, they, I mean, I don't know. That or he's here to talk to Jake about the Avengers Initiative. (laughs) (laughs) A long moment of silence passed, and then Jake said with more than a hint of anger in his voice, The hell you are! My Uncle Barry is dead! The older man shook his head. That's what the world has believed for a long time, but it's it's not true. (laughs) He was killed in an explosion along with his wife, Jake existed. It was some sort of mob-related thing. My mother told me about it. And as far as Donna ever knew, that was the truth. Only a handful of people, including the president at the time, ever knew it wasn't true. That's the way it had to play out. You're claiming the whole bomb story was a fake? A shadow seemed to pass over the older man's weathered face. It wasn't a fake, he said in a low voice that held an angry growl somewhere inside it. The explosion was real enough. It killed my wife, Kate, and it came awfully damned close to killing me. But not quite. 
but I was just too conservative for it. <laughs> it if was you can too call it big that. to explode. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I've seen pictures of Barry Rivers, Jake said stubbornly. You don't look like the blast tore up my face. And when the doctors put it back together, I didn't look exactly like I used to. Did Frank Miller write this? I think you can still see a hint of the old me here and there, if you know where to look. But most people never would. And you never saw me when you were a kid. I was dead before you were born. Oh my god, what are you getting at? So is your Uncle Paul. He died in that insane asylum, where he belonged, I might add. It's a fucked up thing to say. Yeah. You know, tangent here, but you guys remember how... Okay, so the show Knight Rider uh-huh. um, starts with Michael Knight being you know, brought into the Knight Foundation <clears throat> or Knight Initiative, whatever they call it, mm-hmm. and given this car... And You're really dating told, the show you know, with this reference, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, kids. Watch Knight Rider. You'll love it. Um, but they, they, they performed plastic surgery on Michael Knight. And when he comes out of plastic surgery, he looks like David Hasselhoff. That's literally the way the show starts. Like they have a different actor playing Michael Knight to begin with. And then Hasselhoff comes out and plays the character for the rest of the run of the show. Mm -hmm. Like season, I don't know, way too many down the line. (laughs) They introduce Michael Knight's evil twin, who is played by David Hasselhoff. Uh... <laughs> That's what I feel like has just happened here. Yeah. Like, I, the man who claimed to be Barry Rivers chuckled. Why don't we go sit down on that bench over there? He suggested as he nodded toward a concrete bench under one of the trees. Why don't we go tell sit you down all on that it. bench as he pointed toward the bench? Fuck off. Jake hesitated. While he was in no way prepared to accept this guy's story, neither did he believe he was in any sort of danger. The man seemed to have an aura of menace about him, but Jake could tell that it wasn't directed toward him. All right, Jake said, but I warn you, I'm not going to believe a word of it. So for the next half hour, Jake sat there mostly in silence, asking a question only now and then as the man told him about being funded and equipped by the government to become a sort of one-man strike force, free to travel the country and right wrongs whenever he found them. Much like Norman Bhutan, the the Johnstones subscribe heavily to the idea of the government as, Mm. as a concept. As, as an right. entity. Yes. Funded and equipped by the government. The government. You can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes. At to become a sort of one-man strike force, free to travel the country and right wrongs wherever he found them. Taking advantage of his background as a trucker, Barry Rivera, his new identity following the supposed death of the old one. Wait. So you went from Barry Rivers to Barry Rivera. Well, that'll definitely (laughs) throw him off the course. Had used a specially equipped Kenworth in his justice journey. Justice journey. 
An 18-wheel Avenger, someone had dubbed him when the rumors began to rise of a mysterious trucker who dealt what? death What's to all sorts right. of evil people. <laughs> I think we're setting up a sequel. Others called him the Rig Warrior. Oh my god, sounds is like a Anytime good someone asked Barry who he was, though, his answer was the same. Call me Dog. Just Dog. Now, sitting on the bench in Nafziger Plaza, Jake heard the unmistakable ring of truth in what this man was saying, no matter how much he wanted to disbelieve it. That went on for years, Barry said. Already, Jake couldn't think of him by any other name. Lots of years. So much blood that sometimes it seemed like I was wading in it up to my neck. Only real friend I had was Dog. This book ended dog. a while ago, and it's just still going. Yeah, we're, we're doing Lord of the Rings. Big, mean-tempered critter who wound up one of the best friends I ever had. Things were never quite the same after he passed. In fact, I hung it up for a while. Found a place in Arkansas, way back in the woods, on top of a mountain. His career. So isolated, dog. nobody could ever find me. That's what I thought, anyway. The real Dread Pirate Roberts retired <laughs> a decade ago, was living like a king in Patagonia. <laughs> but trouble always has a f way of finding a man, and I got dragged back into the game. All the while, though, I kept tabs on Is what Jake little family I had dog? left. I, I absolutely guarantee that's where this is going. <sighs> All the while, though, I kept tabs on what little family I had left. My sister and you. Of course, I had to do it from a distance, since nobody was supposed to know Barry Rivers was still alive. I'm... Do you need a minute? Are you going to be okay? Just stop! Make it stop! Oh, I think there's God. only like a page left. <laughs> There's not a lot left. Just, uh... oh, just stop. Settle down. Stop it. Stop it. We're almost done. We just have to get through this. It's going to be okay. All the while, though, I kept tabs on what little family I had left. My sister and you. Of course, I had to do it from a distance, since nobody was supposed to know Barry Rivers was still alive. From a distance. I mean, you could have just introduced yourself mm. as Barry Rivera. They never would have caught on. Yeah, it's a good... From a distance, dog is watching us. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw you at least a dozen times over the years. You just never knew it. I could tell you were growing up into a fine young man, though. A big fine yep, man. All those <laughs> car chases, and getting in trouble with the law, yeah. going to college and starting fights with people. It's, yeah, yeah, fine young man. No surprise, you've got good genes on both sides. Jake grunted and said, you could never tell that by my father. I wear my good genes on the outside. <laughs> well... Even the best of genes skip a generation now and then, I guess. Your father wasn't a good man, but you are, Jake. You've been hanging around this part of the country for a while. What are you doing here? I'm semi-retired again. The government calls on me to do a job now the and government. then. And if I see something that interests me, I'm free to poke into it. Mostly, though, my time is my own, and I'll admit, I've been keeping an eye on you. Barry grinned. 
I wanted to see how a throwback like you was going to fit in on a modern college campus. Not well, from what I gather. So I'm a throwback, am I? You're the kind of guy who's been getting in trouble because of rules and regulations made by weaker men for thousands of years, Jake. And by weaker, I don't mean physically. You've got the sort of code that men used to have. A true sense of right and wrong that won't let you stand by and do nothing while innocent people are suffering because of evil. Yeah, because morality was great during the Old West, mm-hmm. when, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, caveman times. Yeah, yeah, this uh, sense of right and wrong that existed when you were a child and yep. you saw things on television. Yep. That's, that's, that's right. Mm-hmm. You bull right in and take action, even if it puts you at risk. You're more likely to jump into something if it's dangerous, because that means you're fighting for something that's actually worthwhile. You seem to think you know a hell of a lot about me. Barry smiled faintly and said, I told you, I've been keeping an eye on you. I wasn't surprised you kept getting in trouble here. I wasn't really expecting to find you in the middle of a hostage situation fighting terrorist assholes, though. It was their bad luck you were around. <sighs> With he the paused. way this dialogue is written, it just sounds like Jake is talking to Jake. It does, yeah. I hope you don't mind that I pitched in a little too. I knew they were scattered around the campus and you couldn't be everywhere at once. Wait a minute, Jake said. I heard rumors about how some mysterious guy killed some of Foster's uh, men and freed a bunch uh, of hostages. The official story downplays that. There. But too many people have said they saw it happen. Are you telling me that was you? Just mopping up, really, Barry replied with a shrug. Damn, Jake shook his head. This is a hell of a lot to dump on a guy. Yeah, it is, but you're strong enough to take it. They sat there in silence. (laughs) (laughs) They sat there in silence that stretched for several minutes while the campus population continued bustling around them. Life went on. Finally, Jake said, I think I believe you. Good. I hoped you would. But why? Why tell me all this? Barry took a deep breath and said, After all these years, I wanted to look my nephew in the eye and have him know that we're family. Maybe I'm just getting sentimental in my old age. For a long time, family meant betrayal to me. Your Uncle Paul was responsible for a lot of pain and heartbreak for me and a bunch of other people. But I finally realized that you can't turn your back on your whole family because of what one person does. Does that mean you're going to reach out to my mother, too? One thing at a time, kid, Barry said. Anyway, that's not the only reason. Oh my god. I've got a practical motive for talking to you today, too. And what's that? What do you plan on doing with your life, Jake? I the question rock. was one Jake had no idea how to answer. Not at this point, anyway. He shook his head and said, My grandfather thought I ought to go back to school. That didn't work out so well. I guess I'll get a job of some kind. Work with me, or Barry go to said. to a college I fit in at better. Jake frowned at him. You mean, for the government? You said just a few minutes ago that I don't handle rules and regulations very well. And who has more of those than the government? Oh! 
How was your time in the army, Jake? Yeah, yeah, How yeah. was your time in the uh, army? Which he fit in and did amazingly in. Well, he didn't because it's not the same kind of army, remember? Oh, that's right. I mean, he did get a chest full of medals. He did get a chest full of medals, but it's a different army. Which suggests that he was good at following orders and... Yeah, they don't give you the medals for... Freelancing. (sighs) It's not exactly the same, Barry said. When they come to me and ask me to do a job, ask me, not tell me. I have a free hand, because there's nothing official involved, and that lack of a traceable connection gives them complete deniability. They say, we think this is a problem, and if I agree with them, I go and take care of it however I see fit. That's the only way I'll operate. If Dog is such a great, awesome character that does such great, awesome things, why would the government want to deny that? Well, they have to, you see, because they need the uh, plausible deniability for this guy going and assassinating mm-hmm. fucking foreign leaders and other things that he's just decided are the right thing to do. God, the implications of this are incredibly yeah, terrifying. Like, like the, yeah, like this is not like a comic book world. Like this is just present day America, well, 2018 America. <clears throat> the idea of this fucking big rig Avenger going off half cocked and just operating with no oversight is horrifying to think about. Yeah. John, I'm going to send you a picture. It's my actual face of just like how I'm actually being right now. Swear to God, somewhere Ayn Rand is having the biggest orgasm. Oh, gross. Now you have to think about that. I don't want to. I put that in your head. Mm, and the heads of our dozen listeners. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, <in> my own. <laughs> oh, you hurt yourself in your confusion. they say we think this is a problem and if i agree with them i go and take care of it however i see fit that's the only way i'll operate but that doesn't mean i couldn't use a hand now and then he chuckled and believe it or not i'm not getting any younger there'll come a time when i can't do this work anymore but it'll still need to be done take my word on that there will always be evil in the world, Jake, is, which means there will always be a need for men to fight it. Oh, I is, hope there's a Jake and Dog sequel. Is okay, just is there anyone? Is there anyone like four paragraphs ago that hasn't come to the conclusion that Dog is going to ask Jake to, to like to, to be the next Dog? Right, and we're still here. <laughs> Jake couldn't argue with any of that. He had to admit that he was intrigued by Barry's proposal. A job like that might well get him killed, but he wouldn't die of boredom. When Jake didn't say anything for several moments, Barry went on. I still have that place in Arkansas. Thought I might head back up there for a while, do some training. You want to come along? Jake took a deep breath and then said, I suppose we could see how it goes. A grin split Barry's face as he nodded. Good, that's what I wanted to hear. 
He stood up and started walking along the concrete path at the edge of the plaza. Jake fell in alongside him. The tide of campus life ebbed and flowed around them. After a moment, Jake said, Dog, that's your code name, right? Yeah. Do I get a code name? Barry squinted over at him, said, You're as big as a horse. How about horse? Oh my god, that's so dumb. I want to read the adventures of dog and horse. No, Jake said, shaking his head. Not horse. That's not a good code name. He thought about it. Now, stallion, maybe. Oh my god. (laughs) I don't think so. Barry clapped a hand on his nephew's shoulder as they walked off into the pleasant autumn afternoon. We'll work on it. Oh, 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 this feeling of freedom. Now, (laughs) there's a, the, 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 the following page is an author photo and a very brief little about the authors. Mm -hmm. Is it about the the niece or? No, no. The photo shows someone who I can only assume is William W. Johnstone, an Mm -hmm. older man um, with two huskies. They look like Alaskan huskies. Um, or Siberian Husky, I don't really know. Um, big sled dogs. dogs. Yeah. It's pretty dogs. Mm-hmm. Very pretty dogs. Yep. And the author's note is, though known largely for their westerns, national best-selling authors William W. Johnstone and J.A. Johnstone are the authors of some of the most explosive and timely thrillers of the last decade, including the nationally best-selling Tyranny, as well as the Doomsday Bunker and Black Friday. The Johnstones know that freedom is never free. They fully support our military and regularly donate books to our troops. You can learn more about this, as well as upcoming releases and special promotions, by visiting williamjohnstone.net or kensingtonbooks.com. Yeah, thanks a lot for the books. Thanks, mm. thanks, thanks. It's helped so much. <laughs> um interestingly enough uh go to there's a publisher's note on page four that is might be worth taking a look at also all right let's get back there hold on um if you i don't know what interface you're using but if you've got like the copy the uh the table of contents Mm -hmm. um hyperlinked it's on the copyright got it Publisher's note. Following the death of William W. Johnstone, the Johnstone family is working with a carefully selected writer to organize and complete Mr. Johnstone's outlines and many unfinished manuscripts to create additional novels in all of his series, like The Last Gunfighter, Mountain Man, and Eagles, among others. This novel was inspired by Mr. Johnstone's superb storytelling. So he had nothing, he had to, nothing do to do with, do with this. this. Yep. Literally nothing to do with that just makes me even angrier. Yeah. And and if you look at the cover page, his name is in huge blue letters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like on the cover it barely even says her name. No. 
I, I feel I feel like when this is over, I I feel like I've come out of an oubliette into <laughs> like a, just the, like the freshest spring day. I don't know, guys. I, I feel like we've we've kind of yeah. Um, I don't know if we need to belabor the would would you recommend this book to your friends and loved ones conversation too much with this one. Um, I yeah I can't. Um, and again, I, I'll, I'll say like I I don't think there's anything wrong with a conservative ideology. Sure. I also enjoy action movies. Um, you know, I, I, I love Die Hard. It's a great fucking movie. I love the kind of silly, campy concept of one man takes down an army. Right. Like, obviously, that does not happen in the real world. Like, But that's why it's fun escapism. That, that's, well, that's why it's fun escapism. And if it's going to be escapism, it should be escapism. Mm. Like this, I don't know this, this book and thankfully it's, you know, a fairly niche book. It's, it's got its own audience and the people that are going to want to read things like this are going to be the people that read it. And it's only going to confirm they're already right. I mean, it's just going to add to their confirmation bias with the exception of people that went back into, you know, that started from William, actual William W. Johnstone's back catalog of Western adventures and then stumble ass backward into fucking Black Friday and trigger warning. Right, right. Um, I don't want to read it. I want there to be a dog and stallion sequel. <laughs> uh, no, dog and horse. It has to be horse. Just dog and horse are friends. Pony. It's a dog <laughs> and pony show. Uh, uh, oh, I love it. I oh my it. god. I hate. Oh my god. I I I want to see that on network television. The dog and pony show. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised, you know, and and maybe just the agenda is so aggressive. Um, I'm a little surprised, or even just by virtue of the agenda, I'm surprised this hasn't been optioned as a made-for-TV movie. Well, yeah, I mean, I think probably the fact that it only came out in 2018 means Mm. we might see it. Yeah, because, and I'm not, I'm not in it, but the audience is there for trigger warning the movie. Absolutely. And it is cinematic in its yeah. style, in its pacing, um, in its tropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is the sort of novel that is an action thriller. Like right. Yeah, it, it's it's literally crying out to be turned into a film. And I will kill anyone who does. <laughs> that seems a little bit aggressive. <laughs> Who hurt you, Chris? Who hurt you? <laughs> this book, this book hurt me, and I can't tell you where. We we've been talking for a long time. Um, 
this this may have this may be split into multiple episodes by the time anyone hears it. I don't know. Yeah. Um we we can't we came through the wasteland together. There's a bond now. Like Yeah. Um <laughs> we might have to do something nice for the next episode. Yeah. Just to, yeah, I would like that. Yeah, I'll see what I can find. Um <laughs> so unless anyone has anything else to say that isn't pained whimpering noises, um probably gonna wrap up here. Um don't forget that we have a Patreon if you want to support this show and buy us large bottles of of whiskey. <laughs> To make the pain go away. <laughs> because please, please make the pain go away. <clears throat> um, if you have opinions, um, I just had a thought. Um, if you really like this book, you know, feel free to tell us that. If you're going to be an asshole about how much you like this book, I'll probably just delete your comments and block you. So, you know, if you need to get that out of your system, do it. Um, not going to get you very far. But if you enjoy what we're doing, please, please tell us. Hey, you know, I, I, I think you're funny because we like to hear that stuff. Um, we're on YouTube. It's, it's encouraging. It is. Yeah, we like it. It makes us happy. And it rewards this. Um, you know, we're, we're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, and if you're listening on our YouTube channel, like, subscribe, and ring the bell. Because apparently that matters. I'm going to go cry. Um, I'm going to go run for three miles it's a good which is your time and energy yeah do that yeah which, which is less arduous than this <laughs> I, i'm going to go treat my my body and my soul well and have a shot of liquor and a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you for listening farewell any copyrighted content contained within this podcast used for purposes of review Brainworms podcast is David Combs, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. Editing and post-production by David Combs. Are provided by Kane Magdalene. The theme music is HodgePod Number no. 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, please support us on Patreon or Ko-Fi, or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app.